Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law and Courtroom Quarterback. I am Joel Oster. And I'm Chris Marone. And Chris, you are talking to us today from Sin City. You're in Las Vegas, right next to the Raiders. How is life out there in Vegas? It's actually overcast and rainy today. I wasn't expecting it as much, but I have a beautiful look from my hotel room into the car garage next door and i could see look there's my parked car right there at least i got a view of that all night that it's not going to get broken into but you other paid, than that you I'm paid good. extra you paid extra for that view what a great view there at least I you're did. not seeing the the downtown prostitutes oh i'm just kidding i'm sure it's Ooh. a nice place there in vegas i was in vegas a, about i say a year ago but since covid happened it might have been three i don't exactly know when <laughs> But yeah. I, I love Vegas is, is a fun a town. It's a I, I tell it people is. it's the greatest place to people watch. I, this is a true story. For sure. I went For down sure. to what's the old strip called? Do you know Fremont I, I Street? Fremont, yes. And I tell people I went yep. to Fremont. I saw more naked 80-year-old guys that I ever cared to see <laughs> in my lifetime there it. on Fremont Street. And so absolutely love it. That's Vegas for you, baby. So you are there and you're taking time out. So you're not you're not gonna be losing any money while we speak. You're, you're not gambling. Uh, and so you took the time out to do this podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. I do appreciate it. So Thank let's let's bet, jump man. let's jump right in. This has been a, a busy week again in the world of law and yep. sports. And, and so let's just do a quick uh, let's touch on some of the, the the ongoing cases to give our listeners an update on what's going on. And then we're going to dig into the U.S. Supreme Court because they dealt with two huge cases this week. They had a huge case last week when it came to abortion. We thought yeah. they were going to take the week off, but no, they had a huge death penalty case and a religious um, uh, an establishment clause case. Whenever you deal with religion there at the Supreme Court, you get a lot of people's feathers ruffled. And so we will talk about those yeah. cases. But first, just about 30 minutes ago, our time, this is going to be released on Friday, but 30 minutes before we, we recorded this podcast, the Jesse Smollett verdict was rendered it and was. he was convicted. Well, first of all, let me just tell you, I read, I went to CNN. If I'm going to CNN right now and uh, yeah, this is on my screen right here. CNN is reporting Jesse Smollett guilty on some charges. Really, CNN, some charges. Try five of six. He is guilty, and my faith has been restored in our judicial system. Chris, any initial thoughts on the Jesse Smollett verdict? So, of course, I I fully am excited about this verdict because it's how the justice system should have worked. On my CNN page that I just uh, loaded up here on my computer, it says, Jesse Smollett found guilty of falsely reporting a hate crime. They changed it. But when you scroll down, it says Smollett was acquitted on one of six counts against him. Okay, they changed it. So that means guilty of five. For those of you who are not strong in math, like myself, (laughs) guilty of five, acquitted on one. Interesting. Well, luckily, it's still up on my screen. He is guilty on some charges. Again, try five of six. I have no idea. We haven't had time to dig into why he was not found guilty of the one. But right. he did it. He was convicted on five or six counts of disorderly conduct and filing a false police report about a fake tack he was trying to cash in 
on this fake attack to make himself look like he's more sympathetic to up right. his contract value there in Hollywood. And so why did you say, Chris, that this case restores your faith in the judicial system? I know it did for my faith, but why did you say that about your faith? So I'm a full believer that hate crimes should be prosecuted to the greatest extent of the law. And I think when someone has, you know, you commit a crime, you steal bread because you're hungry. We, we look lenient on that in the law. Or if right. you, you do something out of desperation, we look at that and go, you know, we can feel for you. When you purposely go out of your way to beat up somebody because they're gay or black or a female or an immigrant or any reason that has nothing to do with with you know they they wronged you in some way if you go out and commit a hate crime i want you prosecuted to the full extent of the law and i want people who had hate crimes committed against them to come forward when you come forward with fake hate crime cases for clout you demean and diminish the importance of having this discussion amongst people today in America and it diminishes our legal system because now you're using it for clout and that's not right. what it's here for. Exactly. Very well said. Now when it comes to hate crime laws, I will agree with you that when someone commits a crime because of someone's particular status or, or, or heritage, it is horrendous. Mm -hmm. I have no compassion for you, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you any break when you commit a crime like that. Obviously, a lot of conservatives have a problem when they start to label certain speech hate crime, because I think right. that is a problem. They try to silence the dissenters. I actually worked for a group called ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, where we have argued now, I don't know, 10 cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Chris, there is a group out there that actually calls us a hate group. It's like, Really? ADF is a hate group. Come on, seriously. But some groups will do that. So I am very, I'm cautious when I when you start labeling things hate crimes because I know there are organizations out there who just like to silence people who have different views than you. And that's, I think, the wrong use of hate crime legislation. But here, clearly, if someone is beating someone up, committing a crime that is wrong and it's bad, you'll get no sympathy from me. But this was fake. This was fraudulent. And I, mm -hmm. my take is I think the media way too often looks for these narratives. They, they look for these narratives when they do not exist. One example I will give you is the Kyle Rittenhouse case where the media just was hoping and craving for a racist uh, dialogue, uh, you know, a headline in that case. And unfortunately for the media, the facts just did not bear that out. They tried to label Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. And I, there very well might be some uh, lawsuits, uh, defamation lawsuits at the end of this. Uh, even President Biden labeled him a white supremacist when there was basically no evidence whatsoever. Well, actually, there was no evidence that he was. The best I can tell, and Chris, kudos to you, you pointed it out on this podcast. Uh, he ate dinner with someone or was actually at a restaurant where there was someone there who was a white supremacist. Well, having dinner with someone or at least being in the same restaurant, I don't think is evidence. But nonetheless, Chris, I want to get back to our topic at hand. <laughs> I went off on a I'm getting off my soapbox. What don't we do, worry, Chris. What we do here. This is I'm, what we do at courtroom quarterbacks. I'm off my, my soapbox here. But here's a question I want to throw by you. 
I, I've watched this case. You have watched this case. We have followed it. Our listeners have followed this. This was fraud and fake from the very get-go. I believe right. even the police chief came out the very next day, who was African-American, or, or soon thereafter, and said, look, this is fraud. This is fake. He is wasting our resources, and he is making a mockery of, of our laws. We knew this from the very beginning. All right, here's where I'm going with this, Chris. Under our ethical rules as lawyers, and I know you're an ethical lawyer, and you know the rules. You probably have them all memorized, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. <laughs> it's Rule 3.3, candor towards mm-hmm. the tribunal. Yes. As a lawyer, you are not allowed to pursue a factual theory that you know is incorrect, that you know is not supported under the right. facts and evidence in the case. Now, how can the lawyers get away with defending him in this case? Because I know that you are allowed to give your client the benefit of the doubt. But is there a situation where, no, come on, lawyers, you knew this was wrong. You knew this was a lie. How are they escaping an ethical complaint for not violating Rule 3.3? You know, when I was a criminal justice or criminal defense attorney in the early days of my law career, I wrestled with this question a lot because you would come in and you would know the guys are guilty sitting next to you. You know right. it to be true. The evidence is there. You know, one thing I figured out early on is that it's my job to make sure that the prosecution proves their burden. Okay. So I so I kick against the prosecution as hard as I can, straddling that ethical line, not lying, candor the court, and I push and push and push. And I think this is a very valid point. The prosecution made its five points it's five counts of guilty made their case and they did not make their case on the one count of um disorderly conduct and that's the job of a prosecutor of a of a good defense attorney i was talking to a buddy of mine and i know this case isn't as as intense as the case i'm about to talk about but his son was murdered six years ago and this is a guy i go to church with i see him every sunday okay. i've been in his house i've had dinner i love the man dearly and he came up to me and, he, and he's like chris he's like how can you be a defense attorney? And and I was talking to him and I said, look, if I do my job as a defense attorney and kick against the prosecution and kick against the police and kick against everything as hard as I can, when that guilty verdict comes down, it's not appealable. It's right. not ineffective assistance to counsel. It is not like, um, Uh, prejudicial error. None of that happened because I worked my hardest to kick against the prosecution to make sure that their case was airtight. So it made the prosecution better and the police better for doing it. So well said there is some candor, right? I'm not going to out and out lie to the court. Never going to do that. That's idiotic and, and a clear violation, but it's my job to make sure that the prosecution isn't just willy nilly charging people because they feel like they have some, some stand to make not unlike the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Right, the prosecutor was pressured into bringing those charges, and he couldn't prove them. Right. So now, I, now some defense counsel have told me during my classes that he said, "Joel, we don't, we actually don't want to know from our client the actual story because if oh, they never. tell us what happened, now we're bound by that, and maybe that that hurts us. Now we cannot pursue a factual theory that we know is incorrect. So instead, what they do 
is they look at the evidence. What does this evidence tell me? Has the prosecution right. proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt based upon the evidence? And not necessarily, you know, talking to the clients. They can you go ahead and tell me what happened, and then we'll yeah. I'll, I'll go from there. Did you have that in your practice where you you would not want the client to tell you their version? You just wanted to say this is the police report, and then kind of work from the evidence. Sometimes, sometimes it's better not knowing. Um, you know, I didn't do. Um, I mean, I did some sex crime stuff where I just didn't want to hear it because it it like hurt. To right. hear, like being blatantly honest, it hurt to hear. I was defending a guy that thought an 11 year old girl was attractive. Um, but it, it depends on, it really depends on the case. Sometimes you don't want to know. So that way, and if you're not putting the defendant on the stand, sometimes it's better not knowing. Because you, you could create a narrative that's not going to be rebutted by your side of the the aisle. The right. Right, and you're just doing your job as a defense right. attorney, making the prosecution prove their case, mm -hmm. and that way, but if you know your client is lying, well, then you can't pursue right. that factual theory. And by the right. way, I've also been told by several defense attorneys that even when their client tells them something, is it, Jill, you gotta understand, clients lie to us all, all of the, the time. time. Even all when they're, the time, Joel. Even when they're making admissions or confessions, they might be confessing to save a spouse or a friend or you know, to take the, the heat for someone else. To look better in jail, to uh, to look better in the community, to look stronger in the community, to to get more street cred, oh, all sorts of things. Yeah, so there is that element uh, as well that even if your client confesses, doesn't exactly mean that it's um, uh, all good. All right. Yeah, no, Second yeah. Tr uh, trout we are following here is Elizabeth Holmes. And the an, lovely Elizabeth Holmes. The billionaire for a minute, Elizabeth Holmes. And so in this case, uh, the defense rested this week. Closing right. arguments are next week. And so really nothing new to report there. But it, this has been a long, well over a month, uh, you know, several week trial. And so it's going to be coming to a close here here soon all right what I, the only thing i'm really like wondering about that is they rested wednesday morning ish like wednesday before lunch lunch they rested why are they starting opening statements on monday why didn't they just pick it or i'm sorry closing statements on monday why didn't they just pick it up on thursday i'm confused about that but that's just chris marone tinfoil hat what's going on in the world interesting all right well there is another case that's similar to that and that is yeah. the um the Maxwell case. In the, the Maxwell case, uh, the prosecution uh, said, hey, we're going we're gonna to rest this week. So that's expected to happen on Friday of this week. It mm -hmm. caught the defense a little bit off guard. And so, Chris, what actually happened even today uh, in light of that? Well, someone called in sick. So the, the prosecution rested, like Joel said, and um, one of the lawyers, which is unnamed in the world of coronavirus and all that stuff, we don't name names on who's sick anymore, but it had to be someone important enough to tell the judge, hey, I'm sick, I can't make it to trial for the next couple of days, we need to postpone, and the judge fully agreed to it, and I think... It, it, that could be a tactic, right? It could be a, a great tactic, especially in the, the days of coronavirus where we don't want to... Um, chance it anymore you know I, i've done a many of criminal trials where i have a cold so right. it is what it is but all it's I'm a solid, is, solid decision 
All I'm saying is the defense. The, the report was out that the defense was caught off guard. They were scrambling yep. to get their witnesses lined up. The prosecution was going to rest, and that was a surprise move by the prosecution. And lo and behold, next thing we know is someone gets sick, and they have Dog to my delay homework. trial. And so, hey, it's like in football when all of a sudden the one team is marching down the field, and now a defender comes up lame. You know, oh, I, I pulled a, a muscle here. I, I, I got to stumble off, and we got to stop the clock so that we can um, you know catch our breath exactly right, let's jump in now to the supreme court the supreme oh, court let's had do this. two cases this week that i want to focus on they're they're interesting cases the first one is Very. carson v macon now, what this case is about is maine has this program well where they will actually pay tuition for mm-hmm. students to attend private schools where these students live in schools Areas where they have no public school district. Maybe Correct. these are in more, more rural areas where there is no viable public school or, or, or public school there. And so Maine says, hey, look, if that's you, here's some money. You can take that and, and go attend any private school. I say any, you can't use it to go to a religious private school. And so the Correct. issue is, does that violate the establishment clause? And so, Chris, I, I have a lot of different ways I want to take this, but I'm going to give the floor to you first. Ooh. And then I'm going to get, because I, I don't want to get on my soapbox just yet. I'm hoping you can there. kind of tame me down just a bit and hope maybe I will avoid getting on my soapbox. Oh, I like this. I like where we're going with this. So I think first and foremost, we kind of need to talk about the establishment clause for those of us who may not practice constitutional law, right? So the establishment clause is prohibiting the government from making any law that respects the establishment of religion. Essentially, the government cannot create or condone or show favoritism to any religion. So that's what they're kind of talking about when it comes to this case, right? I'm walking it through pretty easily. Right. Now, the, the actual First Amendment, as you paraphrase, is that right. Congress shall make right. no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, the context right. of that First Amendment, the Establishment Clause, was we had just come from a system where there was an official church for the state. It was the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church controlled England, controlled Great Britain, and you had to belong to the official Anglican Church. You had to pay taxes to Mm -hmm. the Anglican Church, and the colonists said, we don't like that. In fact, a lot of our colonists fled England for seeking religious freedom, and they did not want the same thing here in the United States. It is interesting that they did not want Congress to have a national religion, but many of the states, in fact, I think nine of the 13 colonies actually had official state religions when the U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1789 to 91 era. And so it was really more of a prohibition against a national religion Though a state religion was uh, was not as as bad. Well, then you had the 14th right. Amendment that was passed and ratified, and so the First Amendment was applied to the states. And so that's where you get, uh, then in about the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, there was a run of cases where they pretty much stood for this proposition. Any money, any support, any recognition by government towards religion violated the Establishment Clause. And Chris, I'm going to suggest it got so bad that if a teacher had a Bible on the teacher's desk, that was considered a violation of the Establishment Clause. Right. 
I'm going to suggest something went awry. I mean, surely a teacher who is a private citizen, could, you know, with, with, a, with a Bible on her desk, that is not the same thing as forcing people to belong to the Anglican church and pay ta- tithe to the Correct. Anglican church. So I'm going to suggest we kind of went way overboard the other direction. And here is where the, 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 the tension is. We are religious people. America is full of different people of different faiths and religions. And is it really possible to have a secular atheistic society in which we live? It's really not possible. There is going to be interaction between the two. So how do we draw this line between the fact that we are religious people? We, uh, we have religious traditions and religious heritage and the fact we don't want a government forcing us to belong to a certain church or pay tithe to a certain church. How do we right. resolve that tension? And that's where we get this case. Indeed. And I think, at least in my in my expert, I'm going to go there, my expert opinion, it's, it's um, proselytizing. Right. If you right. are if you are forcing people to join your church or if you're in the classroom proselytizing yes. about how you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, that or is Allah. a lot. Or Allah, or to go back to the Old Testament and believe and convert to Judaism, or Ganesha, or following the path of Buddha, or any of the other, you know, whatever Santeria. If I have you sacrifice a goat in my classroom as part of an assignment for Santeria. All of that falls under, I think that's the level. If you just have religious texts, look, part of the problem, I think, in America is that we've forgotten that learning should make you uncomfortable. Learning new things should push you out of your comfort zone. So you should learn about Islam. You should learn about Judaism. You should learn about Christianity. You should not be proselytized into any of those religions, but you should know they exist. If just for the mere fact that you know that a guy who wears a turban is a Sikh and not a Muslim, or just for the mere fact that you understand that the turban in the Sikh religion is a symbol to show that they're there and ready to help people rather than to identify them as a terrorist, right? Yeah, you, so. you drawn a great distinction there when you focused on proselytizing. Is the government's right. actions seeking to proselytize you to a certain faith? And that really is what's going to make the court feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And that's why in this case, I think the court granted cert because there is something what the court has referred to as a circuit breaker. And this is what I mean. Right. If, if you have government funds there, all right, and you have mm-hmm. a religious organization over here all right how do those government funds get to the religious organization all right if the only way the government funds can get to that religious organization is through the private choice of individual citizens the court says that's a circuit breaker that stops the proselytizing efforts from the government so in other words as long as the government has a neutral plan like here most experts will say there there was no indica- indication that Maine was trying to favor religious organizations. In fact, that, that would be impossible here because they were not funding it. So that, this is the opposite kind of situation. But mm-hmm. clearly, there's no thought here. This is going. Is this is an attempt to to you know funnel money to religious organizations? Uh, and so there is no secret agenda here. All right. Well, then, how is the money getting there? It's only getting there via the private decisions of private citizens, and so that's a circuit mm-hmm. breaker. And so then, the establishment clause has not been violated. Any thoughts on right. this case? Well, I mean, 
this kind of, I mean, it kind of is a circuit breaker. It kind of, I mean, this, I think, I think that the, the court is bringing up a lot of cases that have to do with religion as we've talked about over this podcast for the last 14 weeks. But I think this is one where, um, as long as going to a religious class, right? These, these private schools teach religion. If graduation requirements aren't based in passing old Testament, right? That could, that I think that's fine, but if you're going to make graduation and I think they do a really good job with, with at least the state of Maine, I think the state of Maine does a really good job in the fact that you don't have to pass religious classes to graduate high school and receive your diploma. Interesting. Interesting. Um, then that, I think the court's going to reject that. I, I see what you're you saying. Think? That was one of the arguments that was presented in May. Right. And that, in other words, the argument went like this. Like some of these religious schools are okay and some are not because of right. their religious teachings. And I think the conservative justice is going to say, no, we can't do that. If you're going to force us to get involved in the actual We're gonna do a clean curriculum sweep. and instruction, that's going to cause us to be entangled with religion. We're not going to do that. Right. I think the court's going to really look to this issue. Is there a circuit breaker? And if it's the private choice, then they're going to say, okay, now we, uh, we got to keep our hands off. Um, this is not right. discrimination to, to have this money go to this religious school. Again, it's only going there via the private choice of individual citizens. Uh, and so if, if, if you want us to monitor the, the curriculum, that would cause us to be to excessively entangle our, the state with religion, and so they will draw the line there. Now, Chris, I am going to throw this out there. I mean, the, the easy prediction here is 6-3 by the conservative justices. Right. I think there's a chance we can see 8-1. I, I think there's a... I know you won't get that from the oral argument, but I think Kagan and Breyer, based upon the recent cases... One of the cases that I had in front of the U.S. Supreme Court where they went that way. They allow for money to go to religious organizations as long as it really is not a situation where the government is trying to indoctrinate kids. And I think the court's going to see that's not going on here. There is no indoctrination going on by the government. Any indoctrination that happens is only occurring via the private choice of citizens. That's the circuit breaker. But whether it's 6-3 or 8-1, I think most experts predict that um, Maine's, uh, Maine will lose this case and they'll say, no, you cannot discriminate against religious organizations when it comes to this tuition program. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I think... Um, I think it'd be a stretch to get Kagan, but I think Breyer could get there. Right. But I mean, I mean, we might split the difference and see a seven too. It, it, uh, it would not surprise it's a me at all. It's a possibility. All. Everything's Wait. a possibility, right? It's the Supreme Court. Exactly. It would not, and plus, if, if they could do so in a way that they could find some loophole they really could hang their hat on and maybe could limit this opinion. For example, uh, I'm thinking of the Fulton County case last year, the U.S. Supreme Court involving mm -hmm. this adoption uh, policy yep, in Philadelphia. The Catholic adoptions. Yep. Right. And it, that was a 9-0 decision. And they were able to get the three liberal justices on board right. because they found this this loophole that said, we can hang our hat on this. Uh, and so they, they were able to do that in that case and get 9-0. So I'm thinking you can see something similar here. and You might get an 8-1 decision. I don't think Sotomayor, yeah. you have even a shot of getting Sotomayor in this case. All right. Not even a little bit. Let's move on to one more Supreme Court case, and this one really is is near and dear to my heart. Shin v. Ramirez. It is a 
Eighth Amendment, or it's a capital punishment case. This is the Eighth Amendment and a Sixth Amendment case. So the Eighth Amendment prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. That's the death penalty amendment. The Mm -hmm. Sixth Amendment gives you a right to effective counsel. What is the issue in this case is you had two death penalty verdicts that were rendered. And in both cases, the lawyer at trial and the lawyer in the state courts set, you know, system where the person was convicted and then appealed yep. and the conviction was, was upheld. Good old Arizona. Was it really? Yeah, exactly. This was in Arizona. Uh, it wasn't you or this would not have happened. They, nope. uh, of course not. They were really bad lawyers. I mean, they did not Horrible. do their job. They did not, uh, not interview witnesses, pursue obvious theories. And so the issue is, okay, they had crappy legal advice. Now they file a writ of habeas corpus, which to our non-lawyer listeners, what that means is at any time you can file a habeas corpus petition in federal court saying your conviction is wrong under certain constitutional grounds. And so uh, that's a writ of habeas corpus. The problem, there's some limitations with these habeas corpus petitions. And in this particular case, the rule at play would not allow the, the defense to present evidence that they had ineffective assistance of counsel. They can make that argument. They cannot relitigate those issues when they had a chance to litigate those issues before. Right. And uh, that was the issue in this case. I think one of them was so bad that the the evidence that was withheld what, what could have actually led to a not guilty verdict. I mean, it was that, right, that significant. Uh, what happened there was you had a person who, who hit, I believe it was a child, killed the yep. child. At least that's what the, the trial court found. But there was significant medical testimony that said, no, it couldn't have been that guy who hit him. It would have been the wife or the mother because of the time frame of when the injuries actually occurred. So this would have been right. evidence that would have said this person did not commit the murder. It was a second, uh, another person. Well, obviously, that's a very huge uh, fact to kind of withhold from the, the jury. So Which the issue I don't is- know why any lawyer worth their salt would not have pursued that. Right. We talked a little earlier, maybe, what, 10 minutes ago? about our job as criminal defense attorneys is to kick against the prosecution with any and all theories we can come up with, no matter how far-fetched. This isn't even far-fetched. This is believable. This is so close to being true or possibility being true that this is like, I would hang my hat on. My my entire defense would be repeating the fact that the the girl's mother could have struck the girl the, the entire time. That would have been my entire defense for days, just pointing back to that. And and so the issue in this case is, okay, you you, you had that ineffective assistance of counsel at the trial court level. You should have made that argument on appeal before that state before the Arizona you know appellate courts or Arizona Supreme Court because you failed to do that at that level you cannot now bring that argument and relitigate that now here in federal court. Well, according to the court, the obvious problem with that is you had crappy counsel. So how could you right. have brought that argument at the state court level? That's the whole problem. You had ineffective assistance of counsel. And, and so that is the issue in this case. As you know, Chris, I am not a fan of the death penalty at all. And at so all. In, in this situation, when you had faulty convictions, it really underscores this idea that money can buy justice. And here... They didn't have money. They were they were impoverished, uh, and so they had mm-hmm. a state-appointed counsel that did not right. do their job at either the trial court level or on appeal. 
I say let the evidence in in a habeas corpus petition. I do not want wrongful convictions. I definitely don't want someone to be put to death when the the conviction is very suspect, as was in this case. I'm I'm there with you, Joel, and I think this is one of those areas where we we are totally in lockstep. A person's life is on the line. Why not take a step back and go, look, there's all this ineffective assistance of counsel. We need to figure this out. There, there are slam dunk cases left and right. Slam dunk cases of murder left, right, and center that you could say, all right, death penalty is coming in. And it's a hard argument at the Supreme Court level to say anything, right? This person had assistance counsel, and unfortunately, we're putting them to death because that's our, you know, archaic laws. But... This one, there's enough there. There's enough meat there. And it's not like a little meat. It's thick. It is ripe right. with issues. This like uh, like Stevie Wonder could see the issues yes. in this case <laughs> because yeah. of how like glaring and how under equipped and underprepared th- both lawyers were. It's not even like you could hang your hat on just the trial lawyer. The appellate lawyer dropped the ball, if not worse, just as bad as the trial lawyer and this is again not a a procedural technical failure by the the trial counsel or the appellate counsel this went to actually did the person do it or not and and that is very significant and right it wasn't like they didn't object to something or they allowed a piece like no it wasn't a technical problem it wasn't no it was failure to do your job well that is that case was that case was argued this week at the Supreme Court. In both of these cases, a, a, right. a decision is expected come June. And so we'll have to wait and see how those cases uh, turn out. Which, by the way, before we move into my favorite time of the podcast where we can talk <laughs> sports and the law, uh, let me just give you a quick update on the Supreme Court. And so they yes, just finished their argument this week. Now they're off for Christmas break. So no new news from the Supreme Court over the next several weeks. They'll reconvene the first week of January. But hey, we'll still be here because we got a lot going on there with Elizabeth Holmes, with with uh, the Maxwell case, and who knows, maybe there might be some other case that perks up uh, over the, the time. All right, let's move over to courtroom quarterback. Now, this is the time where I wish you actually had some kind of drink there in front of you. I got my uh, my eggnog latte. I, I, made I have a water. Nog. I have a nice cup of water. Okay. See, that's it. We just want to kick back. Put your feet up on the... You're in a hotel room, so desk, bed, <laughs> wherever you are, and let's just talk some oh, sports. Yeah. And let's start off with... The final four in the college playoffs. And we've been talking about the final four, this whole playoff, you know, standings, uh, who's going to get in, who's going to be left out. The final result here for the four were Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati. Now, there's not a lot of controversy over those four being in there. No, there is some controversy over their order. Any thoughts that you had about (laughs) these four? Lots, lots of thoughts, Joel. You know this. Um, One, and you and I are agreeing on this, and I don't want to steal too much thunder, but Cincinnati should be three. They should be three. They should be three. That's all we're putting. I'm not not taking questions at this time. Do you know why Cincinnati is not three? Because we don't want to watch Alabama play... um, 
Georgia again. I th- I cannot get off this bandwagon. This no, that's where we're this, at. L- this love affair that the media has with the SEC. It has not the common refrain been all season. Oh, the SEC is just incredibly tough. No one else oh, can succeed in the tough. SEC. It is an amazing conference. Georgia best is conference by in the far and away the best team. Best teams ever. Right? That's what they keep yeah. saying. Dynasty. L- let Nick me tell Saban. you. Let me tell you, Father Christmas. Exactly. Let me let me tell you who Georgia beat <laughs> this year that were ranked. These are the ranked teams. I'm not talking ranked when they played them. I'm talking at the end of the year when the dust settled and you can determine how good these teams were. These were the teams that were ranked. All right, you got Clemson. That's that was that is end of the year ranked 19th. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, which end of the year ranked 21st, and Kentucky, the end of the year ranked 22nd. Yep. That's it. They beat three teams ranked 19, Ooh. 21, and 22. Spare me. How is that really that impressive? Well, it is for, yeah, who is that, people? Those are going to be the uh, the sponsors. That's right. It's going to be good for the sponsors. And then they played Alabama in the biggest game where they were going to have to prove themselves, and they got slaughtered by Alabama. Murdered. So why is Georgia three? Now you said, well, Joel, uh, okay, you told us who Georgia beat, but is Cincinnati really any better? Well, hold on to that. Cincinnati beat number five Notre Dame. That is significant. Mm. That is a highly mm. ranked team. We're not talking mm. number 19, 20, and 21. Those are pedestrian teams. The fifth ranked team, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, shellacked them, controlled that entire game from beginning to end, embarrassed Notre Dame such that their coach went ahead and left town on the, to the early. How exactly. bad did you get beat that you felt Louisiana was better? <laughs> That's right. I want to get away. On. I want to get away from touchdown Jesus, you know, God's personal favorite football team there to go to uh, LSU where they That's can right. cheat, I guess. And get, Come on. Exactly. Come on. And, and then they beat number 20th ranked Houston that a lot of ex, a lot of experts say they have a lot of future NFL players on that team. So Cincinnati yeah. has two high quality wins, one against a top five team. I think that is superior to Georgia's three um we three, three wins against ranked team. Oh, and did I forget to mention this? Cincinnati is undefeated. Still no undefeated. Losses. Zero. Exactly. In the L column. Here's my also my question. How how many spots did uh Michigan jump when they beat Ohio State? Like Seven, nine? I, well, I, I forget when. Um I, I, they at, I least, think at least you might five. be right. You might at be right. At least five Five to seven slots they jumped by beating Ohio State and put them out of the finals, put them out of the CFP. How does Georgia get to be ranked number three when they haven't even beat anybody in the top ten when if you do beat someone in the top ten, you're getting blown down to five or six spots? They they barely beat anyone in the top twenty. I mean, Clemson right. barely made it by one spot, or else they have right. zero wins against top twenty teams. I don't know. I, I I think there was a little bit of jerry rigging going on. They did not want. Either you can look at it two ways. Either one, they did not want an SEC rematch in the um, the semifinals, or they wanted an SEC rematch in the finals. I don't know which right. way this cuts, but I am. 
I am not which they SEC want for, fan. for dollars, right? It's dollars. All this breaks down to is dollars. If it's Georgia versus Alabama again, they get to play it as like the revenge match from two weeks ago. Oh, I cannot stand it. So I'm a huge, huge Cincinnati That's and right. Michigan Bearcats. fan. Let's do this. That's Let's right. do this. All right, so that is the final four in college. One other thought here about college before before we move on. Do you uh do you even care about the bowl games? Uh, I do care about the Las Vegas Bowl because <laughs> ASU playing is that? playing. ASU is playing in the Las Vegas Bowl. Has your coach stayed around for the uh, the, the bowl game? Oh yes, our coach. Our coach is going nowhere. Herm Edwards is the highest paid person in the state of Arizona. I like. He Herm. is going nowhere for at least yes. two years. Oh, we loved Herm when he was our coach here in Kansas City, and he was also uh, yeah, he's a, he's incredible. Uh, we loved him. I mean, he was a, oh, he's, he's a, great a character. He is oh, a personality gosh. to be sure. Uh, yeah. And so my point on this is, you see, during these bowl game season. That coaches will leave before the bowl game. In other words, oh, this is sure. kind of like their 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 uh, their goal all year is to make a bowl game. They get there and then they hightail it out of town for a right. better gig, and so they want to get a jump on recruiting. And then it's not only the coaches; it's the players as well. Oregon's oh, top sure. defensive player, his name escapes me right now, but he's projected to be the number one pick in this upcoming draft NFL right. draft. He, he said, I'm not going to play in the bowl game. I do not Mm-mm. want to risk an injury. And Why so, would I? Why would I risk an injury when I'm about to get a $50 million payout? Then why play in week three? If that's your analysis. I mean, if you're going to say, look, right. once you've established yourself, then just quit. Quit college and then just hold out for the, the, the pros. I don't know. I, I do I think, think it's there, in- I think there's a, there's a fine line, right? you got to show the pros enough. To where they're going to want to draft you first. Like if he would have quit in week three, he'd probably go in round four or five. Okay. But but he played all the way through. He's a top player, so they're going to play him. They're going to take him in round one. So he doesn't need a bowl or a ring. And look, college football bowl games have already been diluted to the point where they're just again advertised. It's the Las Vegas Bowl. It's the Tostitas Fiesta Bowl, or it's the right. High Times Smoka Bowl, or it's whatever bowl is going on. There's no, I mean, outside of the Rose Bowl, which hasn't really sold out, but it's not as important anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Interesting. Well, of course, I say that I'll be watching all the bowls as well myself because I just cannot stay away. Right. But um, well, of what? course, I'm going to watch. Of course, Joel. One last thought on that was a year ago, I was like, I could, I could see why people would not play in the bowl because they weren't being paid. But now that players right. are getting paid, I mm-hmm. say, if you're getting paid, show up and play the game. You right. owe it to your sponsors. All right. One other thought uh, before Dude, we get Think on. of how much your NIL would be. Let's say that you are this defensive end and you complete the game. You've won the bowl game. You're hosting the trophy up high, and then you look directly at the reporter and go, and Gatorade is my drink. Exactly. To change pocket. You know, they're, they're making money there. Money. That, that, that's, I think that's going to save the day. That's why people right. will keep playing the bowls. Let's do is this. The people paying them money is going to require them to play in that bowl game so they can get the, their, their money's worth out of it. All right. I love it. Because Capitalism. this is courtroom quarterback, we are about combining sports 
with the heavy hand of the law. And because of that, I want to talk about a play that the Pittsburgh, this is college, Ooh, yes, this Pittsburgh is quarterback Kenny Pickett made last week. Uh, this was uh, their championship game, their conference ACC championship game against yep. Wake Forest. Yep. And uh, he was running. I think he gained about, I don't know, about 15 yards, something like that. And yep. so then he started to slide. Now, Chris, here's what happens. When you start to slide, the defenders cannot hit you at all. They got to lay up. That's a rule. They, we can't do that. Targeting if, is the issue. If, exactly. If they hit you with a 15-yard penalty, might even get thrown out of the game. It's that serious. Right. And so once you start to slide, you got to lay off. And if you touch that quarterback or that player, you could be out of the game. Can we also Here, talk for a second, like, why that rule came about? One, because, you know, quarterbacks are kind of sissies. Can we put that out there? <laughs> right? Yes. They can't take a hit. You don't Absolutely. want them to take a hit. Please Come don't on. hit me. I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a game that is in full pads and a helmet and don't touch me. Exactly. So, yeah, which is it? Now you got me on the soapbox. Why did I'm you do this, you. Chris? But nonetheless, I get, so, I get so sick and tired when people say that Thomas Brady is the GOAT, the greatest no. of all time. Case yeah. closed. No, he's got, not he's got enough closed. stolen bases to challenge Ricky Henderson at this point. <laughs> hey, they have sissified the game so much you can't even breathe right. on the quarterback without taking three tic tacs first. Uh, right. That it, it's Remember not even the same Steve game. Young? Remember Steve Young in the late nineties, and he got oh, yeah. like three concussions in one game, and he finished it out. Right. Like, like, come on, Terry Bradshaw or like Bart Starbaugh or even Johnny Unitas, right? Great. You go with the greatest. All, Willie Joe Namath got hit so many times in the face. It looks like he has plastic surgery. Yes. So I'm not saying that that's right, that they should no. have been hit. I'm just saying that's a different sport. There Don't was compare Tom Brady to Joe Montana, to Steve Young, when those guys were allowed to be annihilated back in right. the pocket without even a flag. Dude, and, holding wasn't a thing back then. Right. Didn't matter. No. So it, it, you, you cannot say Tom Brady is the GOAT case closed because he is playing a different sport than Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, and all the other greats yeah. played. All right. That being said, I'm going to get off the soapbox and come back to my story here. This guy starts the slide, and then he fakes. If he, 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 so the right. defender lets up. He comes back. Which uh, they're you know, supposed he, to do. The defenders were playing by the rules. Exactly. He faked it and then took off on a 58-yard TD run. Now, yeah. some people might say, in fact, the opposing coach did say this, it wasn't intentional. I, it was probably just an accident. He didn't know what he was doing. just looked that right. way. But the quarterback, no, to his down. credit, in a news conference said, nope, it was intentional. I did it on purpose. I wanted to fake them out so they would think I was going to slide, and then I ran for the touchdown. Now, my point on this, Chris, is and I, I think I am the only one saying this. I, I scoured the internet, and no one else has really called the coach out on this. I think the coach messed up big time. The referees messed up big Every, time. Yeah. Here's why. That's a, when he started the slide, you're down. That, that's it. The, the, they, the rule is once you start the slide, the ball is should be placed where it was when you started the slides. Because the act of starting the slide is giving yourself up and the play is over with. He, they should have called a timeout and got the referee over and said, hey, referee, 
you need to do an instant replay check on this. You need to look at it. He started the slide, which meant he was giving himself up. The ball is down right there. It's in the rules, so I don't blame the quarterback. I blame I the coach and the rest for not knowing the rules and not uh, reviewing that mm -hmm. and say the ball was down exactly when he started to make the slide. A any thoughts on that? Yeah, because if you look, like, let's compare it to some other rules, right? If you got a receiver back and does a kind of fair catch, but doesn't really, like, wait, like just puts his hand right. up. Right. Like, just puts it, oh, no, I was blocking the sun. And people read that as a fair catch. You got to read that as a fair catch. You can't, you got to stop the game. These rules are set up for player safety. Yes. Again, if it's for player safety, then they need to be enforced at all times and take it seriously at all times. Either you have them or you don't. It's binary, right? On or off. Player safety, yes or no. And so you can't, you can't just fake. And look, man, criminal defense lawyer coming out of me like the third time this podcast. Fish <laughs> get caught by the mouth. Again, fish get caught by the mouth. All right, he I want some explanation. Should, he should not have ran his mouth. Pickett, okay, I got it, I got it. Like, he, the only reason Pickett got in trouble because the opposing coach for Wake Forest said, oh, it was probably just an act. He was probably thinking or <laughs> juking or gave him the benefit of the doubt. No, this prick comes together. It goes to the goes to the boasting level of the, the media and is all like, nope, I totally faked him. <laughs> Bro, like, your career could be done right, because right, you right. did that. Like, yes. how stupid are you to open your mouth and get caught for this? Exactly, and and he, that's what he was boasting. Should not have been boasting about it, but nonetheless, I I think I, this is the only podcast, the only one in sports news that's even putting the blame at the feet of the coach and the referee. They're the ones that messed up. The ball should have been down when he started the slide. Yep. The rules do not need to be changed. It's already there in the rules. Mm -hmm. I looked them up this week. Once he starts the slide, that's where the ball is marked. That's when he gave himself up. You can't give yourself up and then renege on that giving yourself up. You it, it's done. No. Right. What once you give yourself up, it's over with. The play is dead right there. That is reviewable. Uh, just like it would be reviewable if you were tackled and your knee didn't touch the ground, you were right. still up. Those things are reviewable or or vice versa. They could have reviewed that and the referees messed up. The coach messed up. And of course, I guess the player <laughs> messed up as well when he ran his mouth afterwards. All right. right. Chris, it is now time for me to give credit where credit is due. And I have been not fair to you this year about your horrendous picks. Uh, <laughs> is, is, that, is that a fair assumption? I, I take it in stride. Or, or fair assessment? Fair assessment. I take it in stride. Dude, you were horrible. I mean, you you, I ban you began the year great, and then you went into a nosedive, and I was mercilessly attacking was, yeah. you. It's okay. It's okay. I, I am so sorry. It's a form <laughs> of love. It's a form of love. I like it. Because this last week, I went 0-5. and 5, and I'm you sorry. Went, can you say that again for the speaker at home? I didn't hear that. Yeah, you need to turn your speaker way up so we can cause some eardrum damage. Uh, it's a big goose egg. Do you know what a goose egg looks like? Uh, looks like your picks this week. That would be yeah. That would be in front of the five when it comes to my record. That's what I did last week. If you bet money on my picks, well, first of all, you're an idiot. I, we, I've given you plenty of warning. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yep. I, I fact, in fact, last week, correct me if I'm wrong. I said 
Chris, I don't know what I'm doing on this last pick. Can you help me? Can I you did. help me make my last and pick? And I helped you poorly. <laughs> you, oh, I, think I helped you poorly. Looking back, I, I went and played. I replayed the audio. You were snickering. You knew exactly <laughs> what you were doing. Um, you maybe. were just goading me along. And so I went 0-5 last week. You went 3-1. So you were catching up to me. My season total Slowly. is 13. 39 and 28, you are 33 and 29, so you're, you're catching up there. I am plus 11, you are plus 4, so it is time I'm to make there. our picks for this week. And so, um, Chris, what are your picks this week? We're going to start with my favorite pick this week, and I'm going to lose this one, but I got to pick it just purely on the sake of pride and all that is holy. It okay. is the Army-Navy game. Yes, you mentioned it's that last America's week. game. It is an Army Navy game. The Army is favored by seven point five. Okay, we're playing in Annapolis. We're at Navy. I'm just going to say that Army's not going to cover. That Navy will cover the spread. You're going to you're going to pick Navy on this one. I'm picking Navy to cover the spread. Army will not win by more than a touchdown. Do you have any idea what the over under is on this game? Um, Three? I could, no, the over under is like, um, hold on. Let me pull it up real quick. I had it. I had it before you, you called me. I'm um, wondering if either one of these teams have heard of the forward pass. I, I, my I don't think they have. There's going to no. be an awful lot of running going on. It's going to be a well, very quick do. clock. So I'd be very tempted to take the under on this game. Uh, have I talked long enough for you to find the over under? No, because I have to look at my phone, and I'm just not smart. It's just not my jam. And NCAA football is not one of my favorites. Um, Army-Navy right. game, the, they're not even showing it for this week. Hold on. All right. uh, All I'll right. come back. I'll come back. I'll find it as I come back, but I'm going to talk about some other games real quick. All right, good. So Army-Navy game, I'm going to find the over-under. Um, I'm going to pick the safe bet, which is going to be Green Bay versus Chicago. Right, we're gonna take Green Bay because Green Bay is favored by twelve point five. Wow, you're taking Green Bay minus twelve point five over Chicago. Mm-hmm. I almost took that, but I said no. That's that's too much. That is that's a lot of points. I just I wanted to, I wanted to do it. So the over under for the Army Navy game is thirty four point five. That is the lowest over under I have seen. I am not going to touch that one. I was going to take it. That is the low number. That's a low number. That's a low number. It's going to be like a field goal and a safety, and that's going to be the game. Right, right, right. All right. So then I got Baltimore at Cleveland. Cleveland is favored by 2.5. Okay. I'm going to go with Cleveland. I'm going to take Cleveland at home. I'm going to take the Browns. I'm going to I'm going to go all Cleveland this week. Cleveland Bearcats, Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Guardians, uh, Cleveland Hockey. I don't even know who plays for Cleveland Hockey. I'm picking St. Rose's High School in Cleveland to take out St. Mary's in Cincinnati. We're doing all, right. all Cleveland all day. Um, good, good. Next game, Rams versus Cardinals. Cardinals are favored uh, plus two. I, I'm going to say that the Cardinals are going to cover. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think the Cardinals are going to cover. Um, I don't like betting against the Rams, but it's just not there for me this week. You're going for the home team. All right. Going for the home team. I'm actually, um, no, I'm not at that game. I'm at the Christmas day game, but that's a different story. Okay. Um, Saints versus jets. Saints are negative 5.5. So the saints are going to win and cover because it's the jets. Everybody. Oh, my goodness. We have a lot of similar. Are those all your picks? That's all my picks for this week, yeah. 
Okay, we have a lot of similar ones. So I am taking the Steelers plus three over the Vikings. That will be actually that just started. I have no idea yeah. what's going on, uh, but we are doing this at seven oh eight on Thursday evening. Let's do I this. am taking the Steelers. They are underdogs by three. I think it's time for the Steelers to get their act together again. I've mentioned this many times. I am a big believer in their coach. I think this is late in the season. It's put up or shut up. Ben Roethlisberger, their quarterback, just announced this is his farewell farewell tour so i think he's going to come out and play strong they are the yep. underdogs so i'm taking the steelers there all right Love i'm also it. taking the set the saints uh minus the five and a half over the jets because it's the we jets. like to and win so pathetic i just have to believe <laughs> the saints are gonna just lay it on them all right washington cowboys i struggled with this one Ooh, here's what one. i did here's what i did i decided I, here's how i'm gonna approach these picks who do I think is going to win the game? And right. here I thought Washington is going to win the game. I just think they're a stronger team. I think the Cowboys are in disarray. Uh, now I know some of the defense, they're coming back. Their defenders are coming back. That gives me some pause for concern. But the Cowboys are favored by four and a half. Washington is the home team. I got to go with Washington. The okay, 49ers. You you uh, you dodged the 49ers. They are a point and a half favorites over the Bengals. Again, this is a I home can't. game for the Bengals. I think they win outright. So I'm going to take the Bengals over the 49ers. Plus, I get a point and a half there. And then uh, lastly, yep. I too had picked the Cardinals to beat the Rams. Whoa. Cardinals are doing. the home team. And they are the, um, the, the favorites there. But I think the Cardinals will cover against the Rams. So, hey, you got the picks now. You're in Vegas. What are you going to do? I'm taking all of our picks and I'm going right down to the sports book, which is located eight floors below where I am right now. And we're going to lay down the bets this week and see if there's actually any money. We're putting it where our mouth is. <laughs> Ladies right. and gentlemen, we did not plan this ahead of time. We did not think at any point I would be in Las Vegas to actually make these bets. But here we are. That's right. So we're, this is all legal. We are we are yep. all legal. This is legalized betting uh, for sports. But there you go. Um, those are our picks. Hey, have a great week, Chris. And we will talk to you next week. Sounds good, Joel. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs>